This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, we all are watching, obviously, the arraignment of Donald J. Trump. We aren't actually watching the arraignment. We're seeing this pool coverage. Uh, this coverage we have on our screen comes courtesy of Reuters. Uh, and he's in the courtroom right now. And who better to talk to about this and, and get a take on it than our dear friend? We've not talked in a while, but he has um, kind of become the unofficial, unauthorized biographer of all things Trump going back to his childhood. He helped us understand, if you all recall, uh, a lot about Donald Trump, even in his childhood. And I couldn't help but think about him as we saw images of the plane uh, just the other day, uh, because one time he gave me a whole a primer on the plane and what the plane was and wasn't. And these other planes that are sitting that haven't been functioning for years, but we're uh, happy to have with us. He's a co-founder, of course, as we know, of D.C. Report. Uh, David K. Johnston joins us um, to, to watch this and talk about this. David, how are you, buddy? Just fine. Good to be with you again, Mark. It, it, it's good to have you. I I just came off the West Coast Mark Thompson show. Oh, the, the, the other Mark. Okay, the other, the Mark, other Mark Thompson. I know that's right. I, well, that's that's cool. That's cool. So, man, um, I, I I guess this is um, this is no surprise to you, is it? That this day would inevitably come, right? Correct. The day that Donald announced when he came down the escalator at Trump Tower, I dropped everything I was doing because I realized that. Number one, Donald had uh, embarrassed the politics reporters in 2012 uh, when he ran for president. They treated him seriously, and then he said, oh, my TV show needs me more. And I realized they would have egg on their face and dismiss him. And yet the stars were aligned that he might get to the White House. And I also knew that day that if Trump were to get to the White House, he would go in the eyes of prosecutors from being you know, this blowhard developer, nowhere near as prominent as he told people, to a public figure who was going to do things that would require a response from law enforcement at some point. I wouldn't know how exactly it would play out, but I was certain that that would happen eventually. And indeed, it, it did. I mean, we've got this indictment and the expectation of one in Georgia and at least one from the federal government, possibly two. And we've and we've not seen the document hasn't been released yet, has it? The the Correct. actual uh, probably Trump and his lawyers have it at this point, but the public hasn't seen it yet. But I, I will I can tell you very simply that um, it will not be a simple thread, as you've heard lots of commentators who don't know what they're talking about on TV who said, "Well, they're just going to charge him with paying off Stormy Daniels," and after all, he only did that so his wife wouldn't know. Um, uh, in fact, they're going to show a fabric of crimes that a whole series of interrelated crimes were committed because if it was just the one string, Trump's lawyers could say, well, he was, he was, just, he didn't know this was illegal. He was trying to hide it from his wife. But mm -hmm. when you show the cover up, the other people who were involved, uh, the planning that went into this, the related crimes that totally takes away that defense. What do you make of for lack of a better word, it was sort of a delay. Alvin Bragg comes in, he puts things on hold, Pomerantz resigns, writes a book and everything. And we were left with the impression that under no circumstances would, would Alvin Bragg, the new, new elected Manhattan DA, 
move on this. And then he kind of surprised me and maybe others as well, because uh, we still didn't get a sense he was still considering it. W what do you make of that whole, uh, uh, how that unfolds? Well, I thought there was a very strong uh, New York State RICO law, uh, Article 460 prosecution, uh, and that um, Bragg should not have walked away from that case. Uh, he felt concerned that the, uh, uh, the jury might not buy it and that the prosecutors didn't have the theory that he was comfortable with. Um, I since have written uh, twice the Sunday lead editorial for or op-ed for the New York Daily News, essentially giving uh, legal advice to brag on how to bring a case. That's not the case he's bringing, but showing him how he could prosecute him. And so Bragg has demonstrated in the beginning that, you know, if I don't think there's a case here, I'm not going to bring it. But he came back after the success in getting 17 felony accounts against the Trump Organization, the Trump Payroll Corporation, and Alan Weiselberg, the chief financial officer, with the case that is uh, what's led to today's first ever arrest of a president. And I think that shows that Bragg, who has a solid, serious reputation, uh, looked at the evidence, brought in new prosecutors and said, you know, what's the case that we're confident we can win? And, and by the way, I, I listened today on my way back from lunch to Fox radio, uh, which was talking about, uh, had Jonathan Turley, a lawyer on saying that, well, you know, Alvin Bragg ran for office saying he was going to get Donald Trump. No, Letitia James said something like that. Alvin Bragg never said anything within a mile of that. Right, right. No, he, so, so is. So I guess what, what you had envisioned in terms of the RICO piece, and that's not an aspect of this case, we don't think. I don't believe RICO will be a part of this case. I, I believe, and I've said many times, that the Trump Organization uh, is not a business. It is a racketeering enterprise posing as a business. Donald is the third-generation head of a four-generation white-collar crime. So they don't go around breaking legs and killing people like the mafia. Uh, instead, they uh, use contracts and uh, failure to deliver or taking goods and not paying for them, uh, taking work and not paying for it, uh, and, and manipulations of the political system to lie, cheat, and steal and get away with things. Like, you know, Donald Trump's casinos uh, had not 18-year-olds gambling, you know, who dressed up to look like they were older. He literally had 12, 13, and 14-year-old gamblers in his casinos who were given liquor, limousines, uh, and hotel rooms. And, uh, you know, it's like tw a sixth grader. You didn't know this was a child, and yet all he had to do was pay a fine. And he's been able to, to, to get away um, with that kind of stuff. There was also conversation um, around the time Brad came in about there being a concern whether or not there were 12 people who would be unanimous in, in convicting Donald Trump. And some suggested, well, that just did not exist. I don't, Bragg doesn't um, seem to me the kind of person that would bring this if he weren't pretty convinced and clear that he has, he's going to have 12 jurors. Well, yes, Bragg has been very cautious about this and so has Jack Smith, the federal prosecutor, he, uh, over the stolen national security documents, had every single employee of Mar-a-Lago put under oath 
so that you couldn't have a chambermaid show up at trial in the future and go, oh, no, the, I moved the documents myself. Mr. Trump didn't know. You know, they've eliminated that from happening by being so thorough. But Trump is uh, going to seek for sure to remove the trial. He'd rather be tried in Staten Island, where he would get almost be certain to get an overwhelmingly white jury. And he's going to argue that the, the jury pool is tainted in Manhattan. It's, if it's tainted, it's tainted everywhere. I mean, he was the president of the United States. I think you can find a jury. I've covered cases in my almost 60-year career now where uh, there were things that were dominated the news for day after day after day, and both sides, defense and prosecution, agreed to a jury. So they'll be able to find a jury who will follow law. What Bragg needs to worry about is a ringer, somebody who during what's called voir dire, where jurors are questioned before they decide whether to put them on a panel, lies to get on the jury so they can make sure there's 11 to 1. Yeah, yeah. That, the right. judge would appoint, Mark, um, alternate jurors. And if that's one person who does that or even two, I would expect the Judge Marchand, who is known to have a strong hand. I've never met him, but that's his reputation. Not Lance Ito of the O.J. Simpson case. Um, he would just remove those jurors uh, for being obstreperous and uh, put alternates on, in the jury room. David K. Johnson, you said that um, Trump doesn't really have a mafia organization. I guess it's a, sort of a, a cosplay kind of a thing. Um, but are we sure about that? I mean, because we know the mob, they could get a juror. They could get one. They could get to one. He can't do that, can he? Well, I, Donald, you know, if Donald wants to run the risk, he may be able to find a way to get to a jury and bribe somebody who's a juror. These things are not unknown. It would be incredibly foolish and high risk to do that given the attention in this case, and I would be absolutely surprised. I mean, I think the real issue Mark Donald has to face is this. Does he want to exercise his speedy trial rights, because he can go to trial in 60 days, or does he want to drag it out, which is his style, and he could end up being at trial while he's trying to get the Republican nomination next year. Now, a judge can, generally, you're not required to be in the courtroom for your trial. You can, even if you're under arrest, you can say, I'm going to sit in my jail cell. I'm not going to go to this. But you'd have to show up for the, for the, uh, for the jury verdict. Donald believes this indictment will get him back into the White House. He's been saying that, even though he's only raised $4 million, which is a lot of money to you and me, but in the world of national politics, it's bupkis. Uh, if he were to go to a speedy trial and be convicted, by his theory, that would boost his chances of being president. And let's just let me carry this one further. Let's assume that he gets indicted three times. He's convicted in all these cases, and he is being held in a federal military uh, base because he can't put him in Attica uh, due to the Social Security, the, the Secret Service protection he gets. He could be president of the United States, well, a convicted felon, and he can be president from a, from a prison. There is nothing in the Constitution that prevents that unless he gets charged with and convicted of insurrection. And that's not what the Mar-a-Lago case is about. But there are some indications that uh, the special prosecutor, Jack Smith, may be looking at January 6th and Trump's effort to overthrow the government. Uh, I think that would be a, a harder jury case to make. And, and viewers should know that uh, I'm an investigative reporter and an author, um, long time with the New York Times, uh, but I also teach law. I've taught law for the last 15 years, and I am not a lawyer, but a law school hires me to teach law, and I'm not a lawyer, should say something about my knowledge of the law. Yes, sir. It certainly does. And I'm glad you brought that up. You read my mind. 
Jack Smith can choose. We don't know for sure, but he can choose to look at January 6th. And that is the only charge if convicted insurrection, if convicted, that would disqualify him from running, from holding right. the presidency. And there's right. currently one person in the U.S. who has been disqualified. It's a New Mexico politician who took part in January 6th, and he has not been allowed to continue in his New Mexico state uh, government position. So also help us understand. So people, so we're really looking at, at potentially four different cases, four different prosecutors. Correct. Okay. Tish James, what is the difference between what she's doing with the Trump organization and what Bragg is doing? It, so the doing Tisha it? James case is a civil case and she is seeking to shut down the Trump organization to not allow Donald Trump to be in control of what happens to its assets, to fine it $250 million and to bar Donald Trump and his three older children from ever doing business in New York State again. And she has a very strong case for this based on Donald's conduct. You don't have a right to have a corporation. That is a, a, the state, not the federal government, the states create corporations. And that is a privilege from the state. It is not a right. And she's certainly shown that the Trump organization has been involved with everything from uh, the fake Trump University that wasn't a school at all, uh, was a scam to get money out of people, to um, Trump using money from the Trump Charitable Foundation to benefit himself, that the Trump organization is not really a business and should be shut down. And I think she's going to be successful at the end of the day, um, despite her indiscreet campaign comments that she was going to Essentially, in my word, not hers, but get Donald Trump. Um, uh, I think that's not going to stop the success of what she's doing. And she's got good attorneys on the civil side working on this. And then there's the, the Jack Smith case looking at Mar-a-Lago and hopefully January 6th. Uh, do we know where that is now? The, at least the Mar-a-Lago part, what stage that may be in? We have any idea? Yeah, it is pretty clear evidence that they're nearing the end of uh, putting together a case and going to a federal grand jury with by the witnesses they've called. They have not yet sent Trump what's called a target letter. Uh, and trust me, Trump will tell us. I mean, it was Trump who put out that he was going to be indicted in, in Manhattan. Uh, and by the way, these pictures that you're running right now for the, anybody who's watching you live stream rather than some other way, you notice there's no riot going on. The cops are just standing around like, you know, it's, it's coffee break. Um, the, the, uh, so I would expect that we will see a federal indictment soon under the justice department rules. It's certainly got to be brought this year. And then lastly, but not leastly, the Fonnie Willis case in Georgia. Um, Fonnie Willis apparently has vastly more evidence than we know about the special grand jury she had. Under Georgia law, those grand jurors were allowed to talk about everything except the names of the people recommended for prosecution. And six of the grand jurors have spoken to journalists and have said, man, there's a lot here you haven't heard. If you knew what we knew, you would be, oh my God, about this case. And there are more recordings than just the one of Trump muscling Brad Raffsenberger, the Republican uh, who was in charge of Georgia elections. There are apparently other tapes and other menacing actions. Uh, so that's a real problem. And there's one more case out there, and that is the E. Jean Carroll rape case. It's a defamation case. Trump is not being sued for the rape. 
being sued for calling her a liar. E. Jean, who was a writer at Saturday Night Live when it began in 1975, and uh, says that when she was at Bloomingdale's, uh, Trump in one of the dressing rooms when almost nobody was in the store just before closing, raped her. And Trump attacked her, called her a liar and various other things. And a judge has found that there's enough evidence to go to civil trial on this. And that can only cost Trump money. But, you know, there are at least 25 women who've come forward and said that Donald Trump uh, sexually assaulted them. And after all, we have the Billy Bush tape where Trump brags about sexually assaulting women and basically saying, you know, he has a right to do this to women. Um. And, and again, that's a, a money case. The Tish James case is a civil case, but what would it mean if she were to cause the Trump organization to dissolve? What impact would that have on, on him either financially or politically? Well, financially, I'm, I'm not certain except for the fine of $250 million. Um, the finances of the Trump organization, I think, can reasonably be described as um, nonsense accounting, that we don't really know what's going on with Donald Trump. It was one of the things when I was covering Trump back in the late 80s and early 90s in Atlantic City for the Philadelphia Inquirer, I kept pressing the state regulators about. Uh, they claimed that, you know, they thoroughly investigated all the casino owners, and then they had to admit one day they hadn't looked at Trump finances since he got a license, which was uh, years earlier. Um, but the $250 million fine would be a big deal for Trump. I don't think it will help him. I mean, right now, Trump, Trump, Donald believes he should be president. Nobody else is qualified to be president but him. He, he truly believes this. He, he uh, pr probably thinks that he should run the whole world based on statements he's made. Uh, his business now is essentially conning people and sending him money. But that's begun to wane. His crowds are getting smaller. Um, the Republicans are a minority party, and Trumpers are a minority of that minority party. Uh, doesn't mean he can't get back into the White House through the Electoral College the way he did in 2016, especially if the Russians help him again. And people out there, if you don't know, uh, there's an email in the public record from an emissary from the Kremlin saying, the Russian government wants to help you defeat Hillary Clinton and become president, to which Don Jr. replied, love it, and then held a meeting with these people and lied and denied about it for a year, when the only thing a loyal, patriotic American would do to a message like that is pick up the phone, call the FBI, and say, I need someone in counterintelligence. Um, and, you know, I, it, a lot of what would happen in the 2024 election if Trump gets the nomination, which at this point it looks likely, is how much are the North Koreans, the Saudis, the Russians, and the Israelis going to help Donald Trump uh, defeat anybody on the other side? How, how much is it in their interest to interfere in our elections? So what do you predict, David K. Johnson? Is he going to go for the 60-day speedy or run the risk of this taking place and he could have multiple uh, uh trials going on by this time next year by 2024 well, so i mean he's this this is not a, an ideal situation for him Don, donald's whole inclination is always to delay and defer and push things off as far as he can um 
if we get into election season, he's going to scream it's unfair to try him until after the election. I don't think that's going to work. Uh, but you're going to see later today and tomorrow, I'm sure the New York Times, which is very thorough in covering this. I work here for many years as an investigative reporter. Uh, the Times will have a thorough accounting of all the motions that Trump's lawyers are making designed to say, you know, we want all sorts of evidence, much of it irrelevant. Uh, we want the, we want you, the judge out of there, possibly, uh, Alvin Bragg removed. We want to be tried in Saratoga spring, uh, Saratoga and up near Albany. That's where all cops try to get their trials moved to because they get a, a white conservative jury. Um, uh, <laughs> My instinct is they're going to try and delay, uh, and that's going to potentially be a real serious problem uh, for Trump. Uh, but in the short run, Mark, don't miss what's going to happen here. Trump will temporarily go up in the polls, and barring something unexpected, as of now, he's the Republican nominee next year. Think about that, Flynn. This is the party of law and order, uh, the party that is always saying, you know, where would the cops? and here, you're seeing the exact opposite of that, calling Alvin Bragg an animal, uh, saying that it was only a tourist visiting the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, uh, the Republicans have become the party of anarchy and disinformation. It's, and it's very sad to see. We can, we can now confirm what is not really a big surprise. There are 34 counts that were presented. He has, at this moment, uh, we understand, uh, entered a plea of not guilty. Uh, so I'm sure they're going through some procedural things at this time. Um, I'm sure he'll be released, um, on his own recognizance. Um, I don't think that'll be a big surprise. And then they'll probably set in the way these things usually go. They're probably setting the calendar right now, aren't they? Yes. And uh, there are some things to watch for. The judge is not going to tell Trump to stop calling it a kangaroo court and all this stuff, but he could impose a condition on his release of no more death, no more, you know, calling for death and destruction, no more incitements to violence. That's possible. Doesn't mean he will do it, but it's possible. He may or may not ask him to turn in his passport. He may tell him he cannot leave the jurisdiction of the United States. Conceivable, he could tell him he can't leave New York and go back to Florida, but I don't, I don't expect any of those things, but those are within the authority of of the judge. Uh, and tonight, Trump says he's going to give a press conference uh, where he's invited live coverage at Mar-a-Lago. He's going to fly back in his plane, as bigger of his two planes. And it will be very revealing if ABC, NBC, and CBS, the over-the-air broadcast networks, carry that live. If they do, it tells you that the people in the news business have not learned a single thing about covering Trump. They're allowing him to manipulate them. We need to cover it. Journalists cover things. We don't cover them up. We cover them. But that doesn't mean you have to put him live on primetime TV and interrupt your regular programming. It means tomorrow night, Wednesday, Nora O'Donnell and the other anchors report on, here's what Trump said last night. And it would be, Mark, I mean, we saw the cable networks yesterday had Cameras watching Trump's plane sitting on the tarmac in, in Florida. You know, this is not the way to do this. And the politics reporters do not seem to grasp this is not a politician. This is a criminal and a con artist who is running for office. And you cannot cover him and get uh, inform people what they need to know 
by covering him like a politician. And, and just so readers know this, everything I've said about Donald Trump in this show, I've got public record to back it up. Court records, transcripts, testimonies. I have thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of pages of Trump documents in my home. They're all digitized now, or most of them. But I don't say things about Donald unless he told them to me directly or I've got a public record because I don't need to. There's so much public record on his criminality. You don't need to, uh, uh, to rely on un unnamed sources, which I don't use except sparingly in my, all my years as a journalist. And then usually things I'd write in the New York Times, like uh, interviews with 69 IRS auditors. Because by law, none of them are supposed to talk to me. But yet 69 of them, you know, you have a pretty good idea what's going on. David K. Johnson, folks, and he knows of, of which he speaks. Uh, he is the um, uh, the author of The Making of Donald Trump, The Big Cheat. It's even worse than you think. David, I know you've got to run. You've got another uh, assignment. Uh, but, sir, we thank you. And it's always good to see you, buddy. OK, Mark, good to, good to be with you. Happy to be on again. Take care. All right. We'll talk again real soon. All right. Yeah. Take bye care bye. now. All right. David K. Johnston with us as we uh, watch what is uh, going on in uh the Manhattan courthouse, and we're going to stay a little longer because we want to get the indictment, but blogging this live, and I just interrupted him to see if he could, uh, how good he was at multitasking. We're about to, uh, we're about to find out right, uh, right now. Our dear friend with the same name, Mark Sumner of dailycoast.com. Hey, Mark, how are you, buddy? I, uh, I'm in the dark here because I haven't, uh, I wasn't all set up and I actually had to run from one computer to another because the large phone doesn't work upstairs. That's okay. But, uh, but it, it's, uh, it's all good. We're all waiting now just to hear the details on the charges. We know that he's actually already entered a plea of not guilty, right? That's been reported and confirmed, correct? Right. So that we, we're, we're fairly confident there are 34 charges. He has pled not guilty to all of them, but we don't know the details on those charges, whether or not they can take conspiracy really critical in, in, in how serious these charges are once the possible outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of so far, Mark, the lack of uh, engagement or, or protest, shall we say, from some of his supporters and followers? I mean, people are not out in the streets. You know, of course, New York City is not the most fertile ground these days for uh, Donald Trump supporters. But, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that that despite his all caps call for protesters to show up and despite that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and others writing uh, ads for him and getting out their PR uh, in advance of this, there was only a handful of people that showed up to, uh, to cheer on Trump today. You saw those overhead shots of, of him moving from Trump Tower to the courthouse. There was absolutely nobody on the sidewalks. It's another day in Manhattan for everybody else. It's, it really did not uh, generate the kind of uh, protest that he expected, I think. And seemingly another day in Florida yesterday. I mean, it wasn't like people were all out in the streets. You know, I think they, they thought it was going to be like the Bronco chase or something, but it, it just wasn't. Yeah, although I think I'll always remember this day as uh, in kind of and that day together as a kind of a set. But uh, watching that, watching the drone footage of uh, Trump going down the highway there, that, that 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 that'll be a good memory. Yeah, indeed. 
Marjorie Taylor Greene was here in New York. She like she was outside out of the car for like two or three minutes only, I think. Right. Yeah. She lasted less than five minutes there in front of the New York City crowd. Yeah. People, uh, people were not giving her the, the feedback that she wanted. Speaking of a New York City crowd, what how difficult is it going to be to find a jury here? I mean, this this jury, the, the jury pool in Manhattan to be honest, I just don't see it being that favorable to Donald Trump. Yeah, you know, of course, it's, there's no requirement under the law that you find a, a jury that likes you, right? Um, and they don't, they don't have to fish around to, to look in other districts just because people uh, in your district think you're a crook. Um, but Trump, of course, is already making suggestions that you go, go across to Staten Island and grab some people there where he got a higher percentage of the vote. Um, I think that's unlikely. Uh, you know, you're going to end up, it, it's going to be impossible to find a jury where people don't know Trump are unaware of the background of this. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, this is not the only case where something like that is, has, has been part of the selection process. Uh, you wrote in your blog and, and Mark is with us. He's literally multitasking because he's live blogging right now at dailycoast.com. You wrote that NBC is reporting that there is, there is potentially a conspiracy charge amongst yeah. these counts, right? Yeah. So, you know, if there is a conspiracy charge, especially if there's a conspiracy charge that goes beyond just Trump plus Cohen, but maybe involves uh, their relationship with David Pecker and the way these stories were caught and killed for the National Enquirer. So apparently uh, in some of the reporting so far, people have said that there are charges related not just to the payment to, to Stormy Daniels, but to the payment to Karen McDougal. And if that's true and there is a conspiracy charge, you could go all the way through that connection with the, uh, the way that McDougal's story you know, was purposely buried at National Enquirer. So that would be interesting. It would also mean that Trump was writing some of the final checks for this after he was in the White House. It would uh, be potentially that's a charge then that could land him in jail, as opposed to, you know, we just had another trial where, where Trump lost. In fact, you've got an attorney and his defense table who was just beaten by an attorney sitting at the prosecution table across town in, in the other trial uh, where, where uh, his uh, CFO testified. But that trial ended the way a lot of other trials that have involved Trump had, which is, you know, they're paying a fight and moving on. And that could be the case here, too, just because Trump was uh, arrested today and and just because we've had all this process, if there's nothing more than 34 counts of, of uh, document fraud, um, then he could very well end up that even if he's found guilty, that he result is he pays a fine. But the conspiracy charge would would put him at greater peril right. of, of being incarcerated. Yep. Yeah. Um. Our other guest, David K. Johnson, was saying he also has to make a decision about whether or not he wants to knock this out. He has a right to a 60 day speedy trial in New York versus drawing it out, because with all of his legal problems, this could end up being dragged out until what um, next year. even. Sure. I mean, you've got you've got the uh, the trial starting in just three weeks in which Trump is defending himself against charges of rape. Even though it's a civil trial, it's, it's still a rape trial at its heart. And that's starting just down the street from this courthouse in just three weeks. 
you've already got New York State trial that's scheduled to start the first week of October, and you haven't even heard anything yet from the uh, two separate cases that that, that uh, Jack Smith is looking at, you know, from federal cases or the Georgia case. We really could have some some scheduling difficulties here between all the different courthouses trying to figure out when Trump is available to be tried. We'll we'll be watching this very closely. I wonder what they they've been in there for a minute. Most arraignments are just like that. I wonder what they're doing. I, I don't have a great idea of what they're doing, honestly. Uh, yeah, especially because what we've been told is that Trump immediately pled not guilty and that his lawyers waived the reading of the charges. So with that considered, it would have could have been like a five minute proceeding. So uh, I mean, the judge could be giving instructions on on limitations here. They they. Uh, it's hard to think of what else could be happening today. There's just very little that happens at an arraignment. Yeah, and I know I know they have to, I guess, agree upon a, a calendar and a an emotions calendar. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of rigmarole and and delay. It is 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 this gonna help him electorally? Will this make him a martyr to his base? Uh, you know, it probably stirs up his base, but his base are, you know, has always been a subset of the uh uh, Republican Party. I think maybe it helps him against DeSantis. It helps him get that core Marjorie Taylor Greene demographic, you know, back in his column. But um, I, I don't certainly don't see it as doing anything to expand his thirty-something percent base to anything larger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, folks, Mark Sumner is with us. We've been waiting patiently because we want to get our hands on this document. Just kind of go through it and see what it is, and we're going to wait. Mark, we're going to let you go because I know you're working. You on the, uh, you're on the clock. You're not on the MIP's payroll. He's on Daily Coast's payroll, y'all, and they're doing a great job. So follow DailyCoast.com as am I, and we'll see what they're reporting, and we'll be checking back in. And folks, we're going to stay here, you and I. But Mark, thank you for joining us on short notice, buddy. I appreciate you, man. No, thanks for having me. As always, take care, man. Talk soon. All right. All right. Take care now. Mark Sumner, folks of uh, Daily Coast. We have the indictment. Just to lift up some of the highlights as we await the Manhattan DA's press conference. From the statement of facts today, the defendant Donald J. Trump repeatedly and fraudulently falsified New York business records to conceal criminal conduct that hid damaging information from the voting public during the 2016 presidential election. From August 2015 to December 2017, the defendant orchestrated a scheme with others to influence the 2016 presidential election by identifying and purchasing negative information about him to suppress its publication and benefit the defendant's electoral prospects. In order to execute the unlawful scheme, the participants violated election laws and made and caused false entries in the business records of various entities in New York. The participants also took steps that mischaracterized for tax purposes the true nature of the payments made in furtherance of the scheme. Three, I think, obviously speaks to Stormy Daniels. One component of this scheme was at the, defendant, at the defendant's request, 
a lawyer who then then worked for the Trump organization as special counsel to defendant lawyer A covertly paid $130,000 to an adult film actress shortly before the election to prevent her from publicizing a sexual encounter with the defendant. Um, and obviously, I believe they're speaking of uh, Michael Cohen. After the election, the defendant reimbursed Law A for the legal payment through a series of monthly checks. Each check was processed by the Trump organization. Here's a bit on the, the background. Here's the scheme, the catch and kill scheme. During and in furtherance of his candidacy for president, the defendant and others agreed to identify and suppress negative stories about him. Two parties to this agreement have admitted to committing illegal conduct in connection with the scheme. In August 2018, Laria A pleaded guilty to two federal crimes involving illegal campaign contributions and subsequently served time in prison. In addition, in August 2018, American Media Incorporated, a media owned a media company that owned and published magazines and supermarket tabloids, including the National Enquirer, admitted in a non-prosecution agreement that it made a payment to a source of a story to ensure that the source did not publicize damaging allegations about the defendant before the 2016 presidential election and thereby influence that election. In June 2015, the defendant announced his candidacy for the president of the United States. Soon after, in August 2015, the defendant met with lawyer A and AMI's chairman and chief executive officer at Trump Tower in Newark, New York County. At the meeting, AMI, and that's, a, that's the American Media Incorporated, folks, that's National Enquirer. At I'm the going on the mic check. They're getting Good? ready for the Man right. Manhattan's uh, DA's press conference, I believe. I think we may be almost ready for that. We'll keep you posted on that as soon as it, as soon as it's available. We'll share that with you. Let me just continue with this statement of facts though in the indictment. Um, meeting with American Media Incorporated CEO, Trump Tower. The CEO agreed to help with the defendant's campaign saying that he would act as the quote, eyes and ears for the campaign by looking out for negative stories about the defendant and lawyer A. That was going to be his, his role. That was going to be his, his job. He was going to be the eyes and ears for the campaign. AMICO also agreed to publish negative stories about the defendant's competitors for the election. Wow. B, Section B, suppressing 
the Dorman story. A few months later, in or about October, November 2015, the AMI CEO, that's the National Enquirer, learned that a former Trump Tower doorman was trying to sell information regarding a child that the defendant allegedly fathered out of wedlock. So there's a baby, allegedly, another baby. At the AMI CEO's direction, the AMI negotiated and signed an agreement to pay the doorman $30,000 to acquire exclusive rights to the story. AMI falsely characterized this payment in AMI's books and records, including in its ledger. AMI purchased the information from the doorman without fully investigating his claims. Uh, but the AMI CEO directed that the deal take place because of his agreement with the defendant and lawyer. So um, we don't know if there's actually a baby, but they didn't check that out. They just paid the dude off. They didn't wait to pay the dude off. Don't know if there was a baby, but that's what they did. Lawyer A, which is presumed to be Michael Cohen, instructed the AMI CEO not to release the doorman until after the presidential election. And the AMIC is so National Enquirer is all in this. Isn't it funny how New York Times, Washington Post think they're the most powerful publications? And then you've got National Enquirer really being the one in cahoots. Same thing, woman one. Uh, alleged she had a sexual relationship with the defendant while he was married. $150,000 paid to uh, woman one. That happened. And this AMI falsely characterized this payment as all these other payments that they received, all of these were falsely characterized. And it was also understood that the, the defendant or the Trump organization would reimburse AMI. These guys were doing what they wanted to do. In a conversation, they have audio, folks. In a conversation captured in an audio recording in approximately September 2016 concerning Woman One's account, the defendant and lawyer A discussed how to obtain the rights to Woman One's account from AMI and how to reimburse AMI for its payment. Lawyer A told the defendant he would open up a company for the transfer of Woman One's account and other information and stated that he had spoken to the chief financial officer for the Trump organization about how to set the whole thing up. Boys playing. The defendant asked, so what do we got to pay for this? 150 and suggested paying by cash. When the, when lawyer A 
disagreed. The defendant then mentioned payment by check. After the conversation, Lawyer A created a shell company called Resolution Consultants, LLC. On or about September 30th, 2016. And then you'll see how Resolution LLC got involved. The AMI CEO signed an agreement in which AMI agreed to transfer its rights to Woman One's account to Laurier Shell Company for $125,000. Woman too. About one month before the election, on or about October 7, 2016, news broke that the defendant had been caught on tape saying to the coast, to the host of Access Hollywood, I just started kissing them. It's like, man, we all know that. We're going to reread that. Grandma the genitals. Just kiss. I don't even wait. The evidence shows that both the defendant and his campaign staff were concerned that the tape would harm his viability as a candidate and reduce his standing with female voters in particular. We're reading the statement of facts and indictment. The AMI editor-in-chief contacted the AMI CEO, this is a National Enquirer, who alleged she had, by the AMI CEO, about another woman, this is woman two, this is after the Access Hollywood tape, who alleged, alleged she had a sexual encounter with the defendant while he was married. The AMI CEO told the AMI editor-in-chief to notify lawyer A. Um, and then $130,000 was woman two. I, I, I confess I'm confused about who woman one is and who woman two is. It's hard to keep up with um, the women. All of his women. The women. <laughs> it's very, very difficult to keep up. We're, we're monitoring what you hear in the background. We're monitoring the press conference. And the, uh, the man had DA's office. So she was woman two. Woman one got what, 125,000. Woman two got 130,000. And so, um, there's his Weisselberg, Trump Organization CFO. The defendant directed lawyer A to delay making a payment to woman two as long as possible. He instructed Laurie A that if they could delay the payment until after the election, they could avoid paying altogether. Because at that point, it would not matter if the story became public. As reflected in emails and text messages between and among Laurie A, Laurie A and the AMI editor-in-chief, Laurie A attempted to delay making the payment as long as possible. Ultimately, with pressure mounting and the election approaching, the defendant agreed to the payoff and directed Laurier to proceed. Laurier discussed the deal with the defendant and the Trump Organization CFO. The defendant did not want to make the $130,000 payment himself and asked Lawyer A and the Trump Organization CFO to find a way 
to make the payment. After discussing various payment options with the Trump Organization CFO, Lawyer A agreed he would make the payment. Before making the payment, Lawyer A confirmed with the defendant that the defendant would pay him back. I mean, th this is, I don't think there's anything we don't know. The question is the strategy. How he's going to get out of this. Um, now, these are post-election communications with the AMI CEO. On November 8th, 2016, the defendant won the presidential election and became the president-elect. Thereafter, AMI, that is folks, the National Enquirer, released both the doorman and woman one from their non-disclosure agreements. I wonder the doorman story is true. Um, after he was elected president, he asked the AMICO to meet him in Trump Tower in Manhattan, where he was thanked for handling the stories of the doorman and woman one and invited the AMICO to the inauguration. In the summer of 2017, the defendant invited the AMICO to the White House for a dinner to thank him for his help during the campaign. Now we have the section of the, the, the falsified business records, the reimbursements of lawyer A for the payoff is there. The Trump Organization CFO and Lawyer A agreed to a total repayment amount of $420,000. They reached that agreement or that figure by adding the $130,000 payment to a $50,000 payment for another expense for which Lawyer A also claimed reimbursement. Uh... For a total of $180,000, the Trump Organization CFO uh, then doubled that amount to $360,000 so that Lawyer A could characterize the payment as income on his tax returns instead of a reimbursement. And Lawyer, and Lawyer A will be left with $180,000 after paying approximately 50% in income taxes. Finally, the Trump Organization CFO added an additional $60,000 as a supplemental year in bonus. Together, these amounts totaled $420,000. The Trump Organization CFO memorialized these calculations in handwritten notes on the copy of the bank statement that Lawyer A had provided. So as you can see, there's a, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on here um, with this with this document and I, I think you heard the announcement i just heard we are two minutes away from the um from the press conference uh the manhattan da is about to uh, commence we'll carry that as soon as we can and as soon as they're ready to go Bet you hadn't heard about the baby out of wedlock. Ha <laughs> ha.
But that gives you a glimpse of the extent of this. There was a, um, to go on, the $420,000, it was an agreement that it would be a payment arrangement of 12 monthly payments of $35,000 over the course of 2017. In early February 2017, the defendant and lawyer A met in the Oval Office at the White House and confirmed this repayment arrangement. Wow. And so there you have it. That was the arrangement. They have all the details of the vouchers, the payments. Um, now, now here's, here's what's important to understand. Um, apparently there were invoices submitted and the invoices submitted by Cohen say each, each, this is what the, the statement of facts reads. Each invoice falsely stated. Good afternoon. Here's a, the Manhattan. Thank you for joining us here today. Earlier this afternoon, Donald Trump was arraigned on a New York Supreme Court indictment returned by a Manhattan grand jury on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Under New York state law, it is a felony to falsify business records with intent to defraud and an intent to conceal another crime. That is exactly what this case is about. 34 false statements made to cover up other crimes. These are felony crimes in New York state. No matter who you are, we cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. He also caused others to make false statements. The defendant claimed that he was paying Michael Cohen for legal services performed in 2017. This simply was not true. And it was a false statement that the defendant made month after month in 2017. April, May, June, and so on through the rest of the year. For nine straight months, the defendant held documents in his hand containing this key lie that he was paying Michael Cohen for legal services performed in 2017. And he personally signed checks for payments to Michael Cohen for each of these nine months. In total, the grand jury found there were 34 documents with this critical false statement. Why did Donald Trump repeatedly make these false statements? The evidence will show that he did so to cover up crimes relating to the 2016 election. Donald Trump, executives at the publishing company, American Media Incorporated, Mr. Cohen and others agreed in 2015 to a catch and kill scheme. That is a scheme to buy and suppress negative information to help Mr. Trump's chance of winning the election. As part of this scheme, 
Donald Trump and others made three payments to people who claimed to have negative information about Mr. Trump. To make these payments, they set up shell companies and they made yet more false statements, including, for example, in AMI, American Media Incorporated's business records. One of the three people that they paid to keep quiet was a woman named Stormy Daniels. Less than two weeks before the presidential election, Michael Cohen wired $130,000 to Stormy Daniels' lawyer. That payment was to hide damaging information from the voting public. The participant's scheme was illegal. The scheme violated New York election law, which makes it a crime to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. The $130,000 wire payment exceeded the federal campaign contribution cap. And the false statements in AMI's books violated New York law. That is why Mr. Trump made false statements about his payments to Mr. Cohen. He could not simply say that the payments were a reimbursement for Mr. Cohen's payments to Sandy, to Stormy Daniels. To do so, to make that true statement would have been to admit a crime. So instead, Mr. Trump said that he was paying Mr. Cohen for fictitious legal services in 2017 to cover up actual crime committed the prior year. And in order to get Michael Cohen his money back, they planned one last false statement. In order to complete the scheme, they planned to mischaracterize the repayments to Mr. Cohen as income to the New York State tax authorities. The conduct I just described uh, and that which was charged by the grand jury is felony criminal conduct in New York State. True and accurate business records are important everywhere, to be sure. They are all the more important in Manhattan, the financial center of the world. That is why we have a history in the Manhattan DA's office of vigorously enforcing white-collar crime. My office, including the talented prosecutors you saw at arraignment earlier today, has charged hundreds of felony falsifying business records. This charge, me said, is the bread and butter of our white-collar work. And fraud presents itself in all different forms here in Manhattan. We have charged falsifying business records for those who violated federal bank secrecy laws. We have charged falsified business records for those who were seeking to cover up sex crimes. And we have brought this charge for those who committed tax violations. At its core, this case today is one with allegations like so many of our white collar cases. Allegations that someone lied again and again to protect their interests and evade the laws to which we are all held accountable. As this office has done time and time again, we today uphold our solemn responsibility to ensure that everyone stands equal before the law. No amount of money and no amount of power changes that enduring American principle. I'll now take questions.
we conducted a thorough and rigorous investigation of what we we're going to do at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. I've been uh, doing this for 24 years uh, and I'm no stranger to rigorous, complex investigations. I bring cases when they're ready. Having now conducted a rigorous, thorough investigation, the case was ready to brought and it was brought. It would definitely seal another crime, but in this, uh, what those crimes were, we are assuming that they might be elected. I'm wondering if you can what law. Right. So let me, let me say as an initial matter, the, the indictment doesn't specify that because the law does not so require. Uh, in my remarks, I mentioned a couple of laws, which I will highlight uh, again now. Uh, the, the, the first is New York State election law, which makes it a crime uh, to conspire to remote a candidacy by unlawful means. I further indicated a, a number of unlawful means, including ad more additional false statements, including statements that were planned to be made to tax authorities. I also noted the federal election law at on contraband contribution uh, limits. But why weren't there those parts? Why uh, were these parts still? Well, we we not going to go into our delivery process on what was brought. The charges that were brought were the ones that were brought. The evidence in the law uh, is is the basis for those decisions. I'm not going to go chapter and verse into um, anything. And what I will say is, I believe the time period you're talking about, I've been in office uh, for a couple of months. Uh, the uh, investigation, in my view, was not concluded into the conduct uh, in particular that, that is the basis for the charges today. Uh, since that time, we've had uh, more evidence uh, made available to the office and opportunity to meet with additional witnesses. Uh, so, uh, as I said earlier, I've been doing this for 24 years. Uh, I don't bring cases prior to a thorough rigorous investigation. Now, having done so, the case has been brought. Well, as I, as I just mentioned, we have uh, had available to the office additional evidence uh, that was not in the office's possession prior to my time here. Uh, and as to uh, your, your part of your question about the, the federal, we have a distinct and strong, I would say profound independent interest in New York State. This is the business capital of the world. Uh, we regularly uh, do cases involving false business statements. Uh, the, 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 the bedrock, in fact, the basis for uh, business integrity and a well-functioning business marketplace is true and accurate record-keeping. That's the charge that's brought here, falsifying New York State business records. I'm not going to go beyond uh, the plain language statement back to the thing speaks for itself.
So the, the, the charge is falsifying business records. Uh, the charge requires, as I, as I uh, specified, uh, criminal conduct that was concealed. Uh, one of the concealed crimes we alleged is New York state election law. Uh, I went through in our statement of facts, I think many of you have in front of you, um, you know, goes through, um, things, including, um, you know, text messages, emails, contemporaneous phone records, multiple witnesses, all of that, uh, will be as you saw in the fall, uh, born out in a public courtroom, uh, in downtown Manhattan. It's, it's a, I'm glad you put your, your finger on that because it's not just about one payment. Uh, it is 34 business records, uh, 34 false statements and business records that were concealing criminal conduct. Um, and, uh, it was the earlier question about New York state election law. When I talked about conspiracy, uh, to, to promote a candidacy by unlawful means, those unlawful means we allege include uh, the conduct, uh, you know, set forth, uh, in the statement of facts, which is, you know, additional false statements separate apart from the charge ones in AMI, uh, documents, planned false statements to tasking authorities. Um, it's, it is not just, uh, that one, one $130,000 wire payment. Thanks so much. All right. So you just heard from the Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, uh, describing the case he's made and pretty much, uh, stating emphatically some of what, um, we just, uh, saw and heard in the, in the document that I shared with you. There's also a section of the document. Let me just share with you that, uh, talks about the pressure campaign, um, that Trump engaged in to try and, um, prevent, um, Michael Cohen from, from testifying. Now you heard about, I touched on this before we heard the DA statement, how all, and he said it too, all of these, um, checks, invoices were listed as retainers, retainer funds for legal services. And, and that's apparently, uh, part of the charge is falsifying business records. But here before us, just before we, we sign off for the day, you'll see the more of the statement of fact. Um, in they talk about the public and private pressure campaign to ensure that Michael Cohen, lawyer aide, did not cooperate with law enforcement <laughs> uh, during the FBI searches. Defendant told lawyer A to stay strong. Stay strong. I mean, that's what he's doing to try to cover himself. He made, they, they used Twitter against him on, on, on April, on about April 21st, 2018, the defendant publicly commented on Twitter, telling Laria A not to flip, saying most people will flip if the government lets them out of trouble, even if it means lying or making up sto stories. Sorry, I don't see a Laria A doing that. Uh, lawyer C approached him on behalf of the defendant to maintain a back channel of communication. 
Uh, Lawyer C also said that he had a close relationship with the defendant. That would be Trump's personal attorney. Saying this could not be a better situation for the president or for you. Later that day, Lawyer C emailed Lawyer A again, writing, I spoke with Lawyer D, very, very positive. You are loved. I mean, that doesn't sound like a, a, a mafia threat. You are loved. Sleep well tonight. You have friends in high places. And this goes on and on. I won't read it all right now. And then both Lawyer A, obviously, and the AMI, American Media Incorporated, admit guilt in connection with payoffs of Woman 1 and Woman 2. Now, I don't see conspiracy in here. Um, but, I mean, we, that, that would be a big deal if I was there. I'm not, I don't, I'm not discerning that from what we're looking at at the moment. But there you have it, folks. That is the statement of facts in the indictment. And that's, you know, pretty much the summary of, of what is going on. All right. Enjoyed this time with you today. Hope you've enjoyed it and gotten something from it. Just to kind of have our own conversation. Glad to have David K. Johnson join. Glad to have um, Mark Sumner of Daily Coast join. Uh, glad to have everybody join um, as we discuss this breaking news today on the day of Dr. King's martyrdom. And a black, whoever thought there would be a black man had in DA in the first place. But that someone qualified has this opportunity and obviously is doing his job. Black folk are convicted of crimes and charged with crimes every day in this country. But never has a former president been charged. That's very, very important. Very important. And, and this is an historic day. No doubt. No doubt about it. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.